Hi, this is Patria Burchard. I'm the original English voice of Ryoko, the space pirate in Tenshi Muyo, and I'm inviting you to enjoy Big Nerdy Questions. Wrong. Good evening. This is Ed here at Big Nerdy Questions. I'm not the voice you're used to hearing at the start, uh, but we have a very special guest for you today uh, on a little brief aside on Big Nerdy Questions. Uh, Patria Burchard, the voice actress of Ryoko, will be joining us and having an in-depth interview. And uh, this is Josh here. I'm always here, even if I'm lurking in the background. But I, I want to do a couple of quick announcements. Uh, first of all, I do want to announce that we did not win the potable contest unfortunately we are all crying in the background but we did get second place so hooray we're number two yeah. Woo. Woo. <laughs> we are number two uh we did not win a new studio but we did win a- another prize from potable we're going to be featured as one of their featured podcasts in the near future i can also announce tease a little bit the Big Nerdy Questions is about to have our first real sponsor. I'm not going to tell you more yet, but you will find out in just a few weeks who that is, who that lucky company is, and the exciting things that are going to be coming to you. Because, oh no, we're not just doing an ad for them. We're going to have an entirely new segment of the show, and some exciting things are coming down the pipe. As Ron Burgundy might say, it's kind of a big deal. But, of course, uh, I should move on to today's content. Our big nerdy recommendation is, well, everything that you're about to hear. This interview features, of course, Ed in the lead role, as well as Matt and Rachel. And joining us for the first time is Tino. I want to wish you uh, greetings as you join Big Nerdy Questions for the first time. I hope that you find the air as rarefied here as we hope it is here in Big Big Nerdy Headquarters. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Of course, and with that, I take it back to Ed to introduce our special guest. We have a very special guest, uh, Patria Burchard, who you may or may not know as the voice actress of Ryoko from the Tenchi Muyo franchise. Hello. Welcome welcome aboard. How are you today? Doing great, thank you. How are you guys? Doing okay. Uh, very, very pleased to have you on. Yes, thank you, thank for, you so uh, much. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm glad to be here. This is a big deal for us. You're the first voice actress we've had on the show. Uh, really? Just uh Yes, it is. Uh, we just wanted to maybe uh, get your thoughts and uh, impressions. How did you get into the industry? Not even sure I'm in the industry. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a voice actor, but I've only done one anime, and that was Tenshi Muyo. Um, I do commercials and audiobooks, um, but I... Tenchi is my only anime, so I would say I'm in the voiceover industry, but not in the anime industry per se. And you're a writer as well. Yeah, I am a writer. That just was natural for me. I um, I grew up in a family of uh, academics, and my mother was an English teacher and a writer, and it, I just kind of followed in her footsteps that way. She also did some acting when she was young, but that was the I, I'm the only actor from my family, really. 
Would you like <clears throat> Would you like to tell us a little bit about your uh, works, uh, your writing works? Oh, sure. If you want to hear about it, um, yes, of I, course. Oh, good. <laughs> um, I had this idea to write a novel uh, when I first went to England in 1999, I think, and realized that some people considered Cadbury Hill the original location of Camelot, and um, I had never thought of Camelot as a real place, and so my my mind started started sort of churning that idea that what would it be like to go there, as you know what what would an actress do if she went there, so I wrote the story called Camelot and Vine, um, which is about an actress who falls back in time. She's a modern woman, but she ends up in sixth century England at Camelot, and she's uh, she's a liar. <laughs> she's a faker and she learns how not to be a faker anymore so that's that book in a nutshell it's kind of um, it's an adventure story with a little bit of comedy and a little bit of drama and then I also wrote a book based on my experiences as an actor in Hollywood who is not famous by Hollywood standards um, just auditioning working when I can sort of being a journeyman like a lot of actors here are and that is called act as if stumbling through hollywood with headshot in hand and it's a series of essays it's it's mostly comic just uh about my adventures auditioning and um messing up <laughs> <laughs> there is one one chapter about uh an episode of tenshi muyo that i messed up pretty royally so Oh, you, you should elaborate for us a little bit. That'd be great. Not too much, because I uh, you know, <laughs> you know, give it away. But they wanted me to sing a rock tune in one episode, uh-huh. and I tried, <laughs> <laughs> but I also failed. So that's that's the story about that one. And we'll be sure to post links to both of those books in our show notes to the Amazon pages, so our readers can oh. purchase those books. Thank you. Thank you. Now, voice acting is still acting. Uh, our yes. listeners, I, I know many of them uh, have particular interest in voiceover work, you know, mm-hmm. uh, being fans of anime and, you know, even just recording audiobooks, whatever. It's all acting. Do you have any uh, advice you could give uh, people who might be interested in the medium? Yes, lots of advice. Um, first of all, I would say study acting. Voice acting is acting, after all. It's... Um, it's not always about having a pretty voice or, um, you know, a deep voice or any kind of particular voice. It's about conveying a character and emotion and feelings and reactions and all of that with your voice alone. You don't get to use your face or your body. It's all vocal. So learning how to act is, I would say, step step one. And then also... Um, you need to study the business itself because it is a business and it's not all fun and games and you can't just step up to a microphone and start talking. There are some things you need to learn about microphone technique and um, vocal placement and how to take care of your voice um, on a recording day and usually the day before, for example. No dairy. I don't eat dairy. Um, no tomatoes. <laughs> they may be okay for some people, but they're not for me. You have to kind of start, you know, 
using your body in a healthy way so that it supports your voice. Those are a couple things. Well, I think I'm disqualified right there. Yeah, myself as well. Um, <laughs> I do like cheese. I gotta say, you know, on on the weekends, I'm all about cheese. I like cheese as well. Um, about Ryoko, uh, Tenchi was one of the earlier anime that I watched, and uh, she's a very strong uh, character, very strong woman. Uh, what what were your thoughts of the character overall? Well. I just loved playing her. She was um, all across the board, emotionally speaking. Mm. She was madly in love. She was furious. She was dangerous. She was scared. She was everything. And getting to play all those emotions for an actor, that's just a plum role. So I felt very fortunate to get to play her. Uh, I'd like to open this up a little bit. Uh, Matt, Rachel, Tino, do you have any questions? Well, I'm, I may be slowly becoming known for my trivial questions when we have guests, but uh, you, you did mention that you're all about cheese on the weekends, so now I'm kind of curious <laughs> what your favorite cheese is. I tend okay. to ask questions about food. I, I may have an unhealthy relationship with food. <laughs> oh, um. Do you guys have Trader Joe's where you are? Not that yes. I know. Yes, we do. Okay. They have this Toscano pepper cheese that mm. I just love. It's I guess I'm a big ad for Trader Joe's now, but it's uh, <laughs> it's this sort of um tasty white or creamy cheese. Well, it's not terribly creamy. It's not like brie. I have to admit I don't like brie. But um just a tasty white cheese with a pepper coating. That's yeah. just delicious. I love it. Uh, if you like uh, creamy white cheeses, uh, my personal favorite cheese is actually uh, Chihuahua cheese, not made from oh. Chihuahuas. Oh, uh, it, it, it's a cheese from the Chihuahua region of Mexico. It's, this very, it's a very milky white cheese, and it's amazing for quesadillas. Okay, I'll watch for it. Chihuahua cheese. I won't forget that. <laughs> Uh, well, I, I have to say anime isn't my forte. I do really admire voice actors and actresses. You guys do incredible work. We've said before on the show that our quintessential Joker, for example, is Mark Hamill's version because oh, man, of the, the voice work that he does uh, yeah. with that character. I have can't tell you the number of video games that where the voice acting is what made the story emotional for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just have to thank you for all of the work you put into your craft, I mean, you and the collective industry. Right. Um, so I, I guess my question is for voiceovers, is there something surprising that most of the audience doesn't realize about putting together voiceover work and, and how it goes into the making of a, of a production? Well, I guess it depends on what kind of production you're talking about, but... Usually, in my experience anyway, and I'm, believe me, I'm not as experienced as somebody like Mark Hamill, but in animation, you record alone. You're not in the same room with the other actors. In fact, usually they're not even there. You're just reacting to the screen. Hopefully somebody has recorded before you so you can react to their voice and act with them. But um, on our first couple of episodes of Tenshi Muyo, we tried 
uh, Matt Miller and I are old friends, and we thought it would be really fun to act together. And we went into the studio, and we couldn't do it because when you act naturally, you kind of um, you might jump on somebody else's line. For example, you can't do that in animation because they have to be able to separate the lines as they're matching them with the screen, for example, or uh, editing. Maybe my line worked, but Matt's didn't, or I should say maybe Matt's line worked, but mine didn't. And so you you can't edit unless you have the voices recorded separately. So that might surprise people. I did have an, <clears throat> another question about the anime specifically. I've listened to many recordings of voice actors and actresses talk about how sometimes it can be difficult to match up the uh, the mouth flaps with what you're saying. Yeah. How difficult was that for you? Uh, it well, after a while, you get kind of good at it. But boy, in the beginning, yes, very tough. Um, the it's also hard for the script writers because they have to translate from the Japanese, then try to make it make sense in English. So that's another rewrite because really. Japanese jokes, um, I think, Rachel, you'll probably understand what I mean. We yes. don't have the same cultural sensibilities, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so to make it sort of make sense to an American audience or an English-speaking audience, there's another rewrite there. And then you have to rewrite it again to match the mouth flaps. So I only have to do that once. The writers are the ones who really have the hard work there. That reminds me of a... Uh an anime my brother showed me many, many years ago called, uh, in English it's called Trouble Chocolate. Mm-hmm. And the watching it in English and watching it in Japanese, it's two completely different shows. The, the okay. stories don't even vaguely line up. Wow. Because the Japanese was built entirely around wordplay. The oh. Japanese love their wordplay. A lot of jokes don't translate well because they use things that rhyme. And then when you try to translate it, it's like, uh, pickle? I thought you meant baseball card, you know? And it doesn't, it, it doesn't yeah. work. In, in that particular one, they had one joke that involved a visual gag that was so off the wall in English, but made such perfect sense in Japanese mm-hmm. that the line in English, when they did the visual gag, was, I don't get it. And they say, doesn't translate well. And they just <laughs> cut to the next scene. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly it. <laughs> Tino, did you have any questions? Uh, yeah, I was just waiting for everybody else to get theirs out. <laughs> yeah, we, we talk too much. You have to jump in here. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Um, so I, I really wanted to know, um, have you wanted to do other anime outside of Tenchi? I haven't really looked for anime work that much. Um, I have mostly done uh, commercials, and I've just started getting into audiobooks, which is really fun, because I get to play all the characters, <laughs> which... Uh, Oh, I totally love that. I mean, I'm playing the men, the women, the old people, the young people, everybody. And that is a hoot. That's just a big hoot for me. Um, I also like the the aspect of storytelling that goes with audiobooks. That's really, I think, my focus nowadays. I never really sought out other anime work. I kind of 
here's the thing. When I first recorded Tenshi Muyo, this was in the mid-90s, and it was, I was already an adult. Um, I won't, you know. I was 40 in 1995, so uh, I might as well say it. You can find it online. The, <laughs> the, um, I wasn't watching cartoons. I wasn't watching Toonami. I wasn't watching Adult Swim. I was doing other things. So to me, at the time, it was an acting job. I loved having an acting job, and I went and did it and uh, went on looking for other acting work because also at the time, I was really pursuing on-camera work. So that was my focus. And by the time I realized that Tenshi Muyo was a big deal, it was already 15 years later. So I didn't even know that, I mean, you know, some, some fans would write to me, and I loved that, and I thought, well, how nice that is to have fans. But I had no idea that Tenshi was becoming this sort of classic harem anime uh, I would get invited to a con here and there and be so like, wow, thank you. That's really great. I'd love to go. But I didn't quite get just how uh, popular Tenchi Muyo was or how popular anime was. Now I'm kind of getting it. <laughs> that's, the question I was, that's the question I was going to ask because yeah. a lot, I, if you said Tenchi Muyo was your only real anime, I thought, oh, no. That must have that must have been like getting hit by a truck later when she realized it because that happens a lot in the people who only dip who only you know dabble occasionally. Yeah, it's like oh my god, this is huge. And of course, yeah. the nineties were really nineties or mid nineties was when things were starting to flourish in the United mm-hmm. States, and we were getting more dubs and we were getting things on actual television. Yeah, yeah. that that was also when. Uh, they were far more selective about what they were oh, bringing yeah. over because it was only a little bit of it coming over. Right. So I remember that the first anime I watched, I literally didn't know it was an anime. It was just, I knew it was the thing on TV on Saturday mornings called Pokemon. Yeah. Right. The concept yeah. of anime at the time I watched it for like three years before I ever heard the word. Huh. It was a cartoon with a slightly different style. Yeah, yeah. It, it was it was a cartoon about a kid who went and did stuff. <laughs> oh, I remember when I was a kid, there was something called Speed Racer. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, uh, I, <laughs> you know, I thought Speed Racer was kind of boring, you know? <laughs> the acting, yeah, well, the acting was so over the top. <laughs> no, but his mouth moved, you know? Nothing it, moved. I, I think I'm that totally fell into the category of so bad it was good. <laughs> The uh, the first anime that I ever remember watching, they had a block on like uh, Fox Kids or whatever it was back in the early 90s where they would do two anime shows, and I didn't know it was anime at the time. They would show Ronin Warriors and uh, Sailor Moon back-to-back. Yeah, I remember that. That was my first exposure way back then. Well, I was, uh, you know, out of the house and on my own long before that, so I wasn't... I, I was working, put, you know, pr- trying to put together a career and wanting to be an actor and not paying much attention to TV except for shows that I was auditioning for. Mm. So that's what I was up to. Good deal. Uh, are you working on anything currently you'd like to share with our listeners? Maybe any appearances coming up, book signings, anything like that you'd like to plug? Um, 
can't think of anything like that, but there is, I, I'm doing a series of audio books. If you like cozy mysteries, and I have a feeling that a lot of anime fans may not be into cozy mysteries, I don't know, but that's what I'm doing right now. I'm a beginner when it comes to audiobook narration, and I'm uh, really lucky that I have this wonderful author to work with. She's very, very kind to me, and her name is Colleen Cross. And the books are the Westwick Witches Cozy Mystery Series. So I've just begun book three, and uh, that is my third audiobook. So I'm, I'm really green when it comes to audiobooks, but um, it feels kind of like coming home to me. It feels like just the thing, because it's a combination of storytelling, writing, uh, voice, voiceover, voice acting. It's all coming into one place. And I've got my own little studio, uh, which is like a TARDIS in the living room. Mm. Um. <laughs> You're speaking our language now. <laughs> yeah? Yeah. Okay. We're all, yeah, so. Most of us are Doctor Who fans. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I'm, I'm uh, cozy and happy in my TARDIS. And thank goodness I have a window. <laughs> uh, for, for our listeners that might not know, and I read... Uh, like Agatha Christie, Arthur Conan Doyle, uh, oh, stuff right. like that. Uh-huh. Uh, what, what's a cozy mystery as opposed to a regular? Well, a cozy, uh, there's uh, there's very little violence. There's usually a little bit of romance. Um, they're not, they, they are murder mysteries, but you don't see a lot of like blood and gore. Um, Agatha Christie's mysteries are more procedurals. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Are you familiar with uh, the Cat Who series by Lillian Jackson Braun? No, I don't. Okay, that 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 sounds pretty similar to the description you're giving. Okay, it's uh, it, it's about a man who's a journalist who moves to a rural area, and each book is a murder mystery, and he's generally helped by the libra- the local librarian who he over time is slowly falling in love with, and his two Siamese cats. Oh, that sounds like it. Yeah, that sounds like a cozy. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I, I wanted to say there was just under 30 books before the author passed away. Wow. That, that's, that's what got me into mystery growing up, okay. was her books. They're usually not terribly scary. It sounds um, like it's not. It sounds yeah. more approachable, kind of like an intro yeah. intro to mystery type of thing. Yeah. I started yeah. reading when I was eight. So, <laughs> well, these are not children's books, really, but they're they're for people oh, who they don't want to be scared. They just want some fun, you know. Yeah. And that's a good yeah. thing because I am a scaredy cat, but these sound great, and I do <laughs> like mysteries. So, are okay. these are these books available for download on Audible? Oh. On Audible, yeah. Audible.com. You can search my name or search um, Colleen Cross, and uh, that's pretty easy. They're up there, yeah. I would love it if people looked looked at them. They're, only the first two are done so far, and I have two more in this series and then another series for her, and then we'll see what else. Well, they'll listen to the first two, and then hopefully mm-hmm. by then they'll be waiting for this third one, and then you'll have them hooked. So I hope so. I hope so. And and at the meantime, maybe we can get an audio version of a uh, uh, Camelot and Vine. Oh boy, I so want to do that, and I'm waiting until I'm good enough. <laughs> <laughs> because I know it sounds crazy, but um, I wrote that story with maybe just a couple of American characters and a whole cast of British characters, and I had 
a British editor to make sure that I didn't use a lot of Americanisms in it so that the British people said things like trousers instead of pants, you know. Uh, so it's, it's written that way. But if I'm going to do this audiobook, uh, it's mostly a lot of British men. <laughs> so I have my work cut out for me. And uh, I have a coach in mind and definitely going to get him uh, to work for me and teach me how to do it before I start on that book cuz it's it's my it's my baby it's my special of course favorite. Yeah. this is a, like a, a, go yeah. ahead Rachel it sounds like an amazing experience to to get to broaden broaden your uh, skill set it sounds like a lot of fun yeah you know i why stop doing that there's never a reason to stop if i get to a point where i'm uh rich and and um old and i can stop i probably won't anyway because i like <laughs> You know, I'm right at this um, age level in my early 60s where some people at my age level either totally won't do anything tech. They won't uh, use the web, very rarely, maybe a little bit of email. A lot of people not even on Facebook or uh, much less Twitter or Tumblr or anything like that. And then there's the other people like me who are like on everything and... (laughs) Um, and I'm, I really thought at first I wasn't going to make it in audiobooks because you kind of have to record on your own, in your own studio in a lot of cases. And I thought, oh man, I got to learn all this software and all this technology and I'm loving it. It's great. I love being my own engineer and, uh, I never thought I would, but it's it's exciting. It's really exciting, Rachel, like you said, to just keep on expanding your horizons. Tino, did you have anything else you wanted to say, sir? I honestly cannot think of anything else right now. Thank you. Guys. I should okay. never have told you guys how old I am. <laughs> I've stunned you all into silence. You no, said you were 45, no. right? I was once. <laughs> you know, you're actually the second author we've had on here who has wrote uh, a story in uh, – in the past set in England. Uh, we had oh. E.C. Ambrose on here, and she's a oh. historical fiction author, and hers was set in 14th century, I believe, during the okay. very dark ages. I will look for her um, because Le- you know, I'm really interested in... She's probably a member of the Historical Novel Society, as am I, so it'll be interesting to find her work. Let me go ahead and, and, and preface this as I had to do in our anime episode a few where we were talking about Berserk a few weeks ago. It is dark material. It, you know, uh-huh. it, it does explore the very real elements of, of the time period and some of the less savory things. So I, mm-hmm. I, I feel I should preface that. Okay. They're, fan, they're fantastic stories. And mm-hmm. uh, she actually just released her fifth and final uh, volume in that series. But uh, E.C. Ambrose, fantastic uh, writer. Okay. Okay. Yeah, Camelot and Vine is a little lighter. It's not totally light. Um, they there's a there's there has to be violence, or there's just no story in. Uh, when you're talking about 500 A.D., you can sort of make light of it. I mean, we don't have to talk about every horrible thing that happens. It's it's as uh, A.C. will know. You tell the things that further your story. You don't have to include all the elements you have to include what makes your story work and her story obviously being different than mine needed some of these elements and mine needs some of them too but not all of them but there there is some blood and some gore there has to be 
you know. By definition, (laughs) from the the time period there, how could you not? How could you not? Yeah. I actually have one more question, if that's all right. Oh, good. Um, I... I'm an I'm an aspiring writer. Um, I haven't done anything in a long time, but I uh, I wanted to know if you had any good advice for people. You've obviously written and published, and that's fantastic. I'm kind of jealous of anybody who gets to do that, <laughs> uh, especially fiction. But uh, can you give any advice for people who maybe have written a lot but are trying to hone their craft? Um, yes. In fact, usually when I go to cons. I do writing workshops instead of um, vocal workshops because I have more experience as a writer than I do as uh, an anime actor. So the first thing I would say is don't quit. Keep going. And um, some people are always looking for a way to... uh, they, They can't find time to write. You can, and my suggestion would be to make it the same time every day. Even if it's only 15 minutes, if you make it the same time every day, then your muse is primed to be ready to write during that time. So you don't have to wait for inspiration. I think professional writers don't wait for inspiration. At least most don't. They are ready when they sit down at the desk because it's their profession. It's their job. So that's another thing I would suggest is the same time every day and... um, and study. Anything that you're trying to learn how to do can be taught by somebody who has more experience at it than you do. I mean, I've taken audiobook classes and I'm not finished. I'm going to continue to take more of those, more coaching and more uh, business coaching because it's something that I'm, I'm not, I haven't mastered yet. So as long as I haven't mastered it, and to tell you the truth, when it's art, you can always, always continue to study. I may have published a couple of books, but that doesn't mean I can't continue to learn from great writing coaches and other experiences. So study, practice, just like you would do anything else. That's how you get good. Thank you very much. You're welcome. I hope that's useful. It's probably, you've probably heard that before. I have, but it doesn't, it, it doesn't, you know, the more I hear it, the more I'm like, you know. Maybe I, sh- I should actually do that. Yeah. <laughs> do you have a regular writing time every day? Oh, I, I'm not going to lie. I wrote, a, I wrote thousands of pages in my teenage years and I've mm-hmm. been, uh, I've had writer's block for like a decade. No so, such thing. That's I, what you I have know. to tell yourself. I tell know. yourself you don't have it. I know. <laughs> oh, you know what? Here's the best piece of advice I can give any writer. Here, here is my plum advice. Allow yourself to write crap. Yeah. You know, it's not <laughs> going to be good. Just forget about that. Just if you get up at, at 7 o'clock every morning, set your alarm for 645, get up, sit down, and write 15 minutes of crap. And just, you know, keep doing that. And I promise you, it's going to get less and less crappy as you continue. Or at least you've got 15 minutes worth of crap that you can edit into something better. Mm-hmm. You, you, can't, you can't sit down at a canvas and paint Monet. You have to start with stick figures and, and well, whatnot. Yeah, first. I'm still working my way up to so. stick figures. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I, that's not my 
method of art for sure. I'm not terrible at drawing, but uh, yes, exactly. You're going to have to allow yourself to fail before you can succeed. Yeah, I agree. That's the hardest piece of advice for me to follow, but maybe that's that's the kick in the pants that I need. Well, I met a guy last year. I was at a con in England. Lucky me! Um, (laughs) It's called Kitacon. And um, at Kitacon, I met a writer who was having trouble finishing because he kept having to go back to the beginning and fix and tweak and write and make it perfect. And uh, and my advice to him was the same. Don't go back to the beginning. You, you did that already. Now write some more crap and continue to write some more crap until you get to your end. And then you can go back and, you know, shape it and model it and fix it. But you'll never get it written if you're looking for perfection because perfect is an enemy. It's the enemy. You're never going to be perfect. I, I will actually agree with you heavily on that. That's just the thing that I, I should yeah. say kick in the trousers maybe. But, <laughs> but uh, uh, that's the problem I have. And I think that's a problem a lot of people have. So it's really I, it good is. to hear that again. It is. Yeah. Honestly. Well, I got I two know. books published and, and they're not they're not perfect. So there you have it. You know, uh, Stephen King did a book tour uh, with George Martin. Mm. Uh, a couple years ago, and uh, George R. R. Martin, as everybody knows, is a uh, big-time writer of Song of Ice and Fire series, mm-hmm. Game of Thrones. And uh, this is the difference between Martin and King, because Martin has been working on his next novel for going on, what, 10 years now, guys? Is that really? is that about right? I yeah. think it might be past 10 at this point. Well, yeah, and he, they were interviewing each other, and Martin asked King... Do do you not ever have a day where you can't just write? And Stephen said, "No, I write what I just I write, and if it sticks, it sticks. If it doesn't, I change it." But he always writes. Yeah. Well, King is a real model. I don't know that much about Martin. I mean, I know that he's hugely famous and successful, and that these great shows have been done based on his works. But I haven't read his works. Uh, King, I've read a little bit of, although it's too scary for me, so I don't read a lot of his work. But <laughs> he wrote a book, one of the few books that I've read twice, is called On Writing. Uh-huh. And his book, On Writing, is uh, a Bible for a lot of writers, because whether or not you like his work, he is the consummate professional. And he has turned out a lot of material, and you know, made a living, made more than a living at it. And I think a lot of us would like to make a living at it, and he's a really shining example and let me tell let me tell you from personal experience this was a bucket list thing for me uh two years ago uh he was doing a book tour for end of watch which coincidentally was a detective series Mm -hmm. uh and we drove from north carolina to nashville tennessee to see him live Mm -hmm. and i actually i acquired a uh, signed first edition stephen king novel but he is the funniest guy you will oh, ever really? listen to. He, oh, you, would, nice you would think he would be like really dark and macabre and everything he says. He is just the funniest guy in person. Oh, that's really great. Ha. I won't believe it till I see it. You, you should know, go see it because it was awesome. You'll uh, you'll be able to sell that book someday if you want to because nope. first, a signed first edition is a is of great value. I'm a huge King fan. <laughs> there is no way I'm ever parting with that book. <laughs> that's why, like, I'm never parting with my signed first edition Dickens. Never. No. Uh, no. <laughs> it, it's still amazing that, that you managed to get that. 
Yeah, yours yours trumps mine a little bit. But <laughs> you really have that? You do not. I do. I got it for Christmas this year. My parents got a first edition Dickens off of eBay for me, and I don't know if the seller was looking in the wrong page or whatever, but it's it's signed. It's a signed first edition of Nicholas Nickleby. Uh, and you're sure it's his signature. Uh, yeah, uh, well, I'm an archivist by trade, so I know that the oh. pen and ink is authentic and the paper's authentic to the time period. Okay. And my wife does uh, handwriting. She's a forensic science teacher. Uh, wow. So we've compared it against several signatures. I mean, I'm not going to say I'm 100%, but I'm 95% certain that it's his. Well, and you're a pretty good authority on that subject. Yeah, I mean, so. I know paper and ink, and it you cannot fake the rust because that's what iron gall ink does it rusts you cannot fake the rust that would be on that ink from the 1830s or i may 1850s. have to hit you up oh i'm sorry go ahead go ahead well i may have to hit you up for advice because i'm working on a story about an archivist well uh matt and i are, and colleen who's not on this episode are all trained archivists matt and colleen have yeah. moved on to other fields wow. but i'm still yeah. I'm still in the archives field. I work at the State Archives of North Carolina. I deal with wow. records every day, so I would love to help you out with that. Yeah, That's my specialties cool. are actually uh, handwriting and military history. Wow. Yeah. You and- guys, what a group. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'd certainly love to because I, I, I was... I, well, I use my archives knowledge. I went on Jeopardy a few years ago because archi- archivists, you learn so many random things as part of because you're librarian, historian, chemist, yeah, uh, all in one, and you have to know a lot about the medium, the history, and I'm in reference, so I have to know a lot about the history. Mm-hmm. My historical uh, area of expertise is mid-20th century politics and social history. Mm-hmm. When I did my schooling my focus was on like decolonization in the french empire indochina and algeria but now it's mostly north carolina because that's where i work i work for the records uh Uh, but i work with the records for the public i should say Uh, Mm -hmm. but any given day i pull things from as early as 1750 as late as 1960 i mean paper from the 1940s is more fragile from the 1740s because of the acidic content and that's something people don't realize but uh, all the little tidbits like that, but you, your your career and profession are much more fascinating than mine. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I think it's really fascinating. My friend is the uh, archivist for the city of Los Angeles, and he gave me a tour of the city archives, and it's wow. It's just wow. I mean, oh, you can hardly describe it. They have one room that's floor-to-ceiling file boxes everything computerized so you can find it easily and you they have big forklift things so you can go all the Mm -hmm. way up to the top shelves which are uh probably two or three stories high and then they have another room of the stuff that hasn't been filed yet and that room is really fascinating it's just jumbles of old junk from uh the 1800s la hasn't been around for that long so no Early, uh, early history of this area, I mean, of uh, you know, European white people history, is uh, doesn't go far back. So it's it's quite a fascinating. No, place. we we have some of those, but most of our records are considered permanent, so we don't have the large building like that. But we well, we do have large buildings, but it's not several stories because the records are more fragile than that. But we do have. Mm-hmm. 
seven floors of material in one building. We have four floors of material that are considered permanent archival, and we have a whole two other buildings of material as well. So, I mean, wow. for the state of North Don't Carolina, the, the the warehouse is yeah. just unprocessed material. And yeah, it's an entire warehouse. I mean, it's it's massive the amount of things we have. We have over one hundred million documents in our holdings. We we're one of the bigger state archives in the country, and one of the oldest. We were founded in, in 1903. You said that um, anime was more interesting than this, but this is big, nerdy question. <laughs> and I think there's nothing more nerdy than archives. I love it. That's well, why I well, am one. <laughs> tie the two together for you, shall I? Okay. Um, so <laughs> I, I grew up getting more and more into anime, and, and the, the first one I saw that I actually understood, okay, this is anime, this is a Japanese product, was the Tenchi series. Hmm. Plural series. Mm -hmm. I I actually started on Tenchi Universe and then went to Muyo. And the the first, I would say, five or six years that I was watching and re-watching it, I only had access to it in English. So... You are technically involved in my in my the beginnings of my interest on Japanese history and culture. Wow. When I was doing my master's in history, I actually specialized in the US relationship with Japan. So mm-hmm. technically you could call Tenchi a formative experience for my career, which would lead me to becoming an archivist. Wow. Okay. I'll take it. It all goes full circle. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we do tend to use the things that we've learned, you know, as we build our lives. It all becomes part of us. I mean, I I will freely admit that one of the reasons that I got into being an academic was my formative watching of Star Trek The Next Generation. And it's encouraging of inquiry and exploration. That's one of the reasons that I am a historian and archivist is that I want to better understand our world and our cultures and and maybe improve it a little bit by having that knowledge that's and it's formative by early series absolutely Hmm. but that's one of the reasons that i founded this podcast and that all of us are on this show is that when we think of nerdy it's not just the stereotypical you know what you think of nerds like big bang theory but we think of nerdy as we want to be inclusive of anyone and everyone who wants to learn more, be it on a pop culture thing, an academic thing. If you have a, a thirst for knowledge and you just want to be kind to each other and encourage everyone to have these fun experiences with whatever you know, you're know you into, that's why we're here. So that's why we're a positive place for, for the nerds to, yeah. to come together and nerd in a collective the collective we the royal we of nerd the the joy of nerddom exactly tell you i have the at every anime con i've ever been to just to bring it back down to anime for a second is the a really exemplary of what you're saying because uh i find the crowd to be so inclusive of anybody who wants to come you don't have to be pretty. You don't have to be smart. You don't have to be cool. Uh, you don't have to be any of those things. You just have to be interested and uh, willing to engage. And it's really, I, I just love the inclusiveness of the anime crowd. It's really a good group in my experience. 
all over the world. Yes, I absolutely agreed. And I, I may I say, if you ever find yourself coming to an amazement in Raleigh, uh, please feel free to, to come meet us. And I would love to give you a tour of the archive so you can get a firsthand <gasps> look. So, oh, that would be great. When is an amazement? It's every mm-hmm. Memorial Day weekend. Oh, okay. So they've probably got their guests for this year. Probably. They they oh. roll the they roll them out uh, leading up to May. They've only announced a few of them. Mm-hmm. I, I think they make last minute additions and subtractions. But and we stuff. have other mm-hmm. cons. We have another con in July that they're still adding people to. But yeah, if that's you, super con. I yeah, think. if well, you ever find con. yourself in North Carolina, I'd be happy and honored to give you a tour of our archives. Thank you. Thank you very much. I would love that. And I know that the rest of the panel would just uh, also just love a chance to meet you in person. Uh, But yes, uh, I would. I would probably die on the spot. (laughs) You would not. You better. I may may not squeal like a little girl. He will. (laughs) Maybe I will. (laughs) Tee curtsy laugh. Well, Ed, I will let you uh, wrap up the interview. Okay, uh, we th- we thank you very much for your time. Uh, it, it's been a real pleasure for all of us on many different fronts, talking about anime, voice work in general, your writing, everything. Thank you. This is really fun, and it's such a great group to talk to. I'm I'm glad we had a chance to sort of hang out for a while. We we thank you again. Um, all right, we're going to send it back over to Matt to kill the Gungan as his tradition. Kill the Gungan. Well, dear listeners. Tonight, Jar Jar, after his misadventures in Springfield, decided he would try going to Japan. And as he walked down a rural dirt road, he met with a small, fuzzy brown creature with gigantic ears that looked somewhere between a cat and a rabbit, which immediately recognized him, and Ryo Oki transformed into his spaceship form, impaling the Gungan on his spike. Nice. Death by transformed spaceship... Jar Jar's dead once again. Otherwise known as a cabot. Yes. <laughs> a cat rabbit. Yeah, but he's not going to know that. He'd be too dead to know it. <laughs> <laughs> Killed by Ryoko's ship. That's not right. Well, and I'll go ahead and thank everyone for being on this amazing interview that we had with Patria. So, of course, thank you, Tino, for joining us for the first time. I hope you come back to B&Q very soon. Uh, I would hope so as well. <laughs> And of course, thanks to Matt and Rachel, and thank you, Ed, for putting all this together. You, sir, are a rock star. That was awesome. I'm glad I could participate. But I should say that we're not done with this crew. Oh, no. Because you are about to get another episode of this exact crew, minus Patria, next week as Big Nerdy Questions continues our Mount Rushmore discussion series. We've already done television and gaming, and now it's time for the Mount Rushmore of anime. We'll see you next week. Goodbye, everybody. (laughs) 